0: What do you get when you combine the most exciting young team in the league? A passion for the Big Easy and a rural West Aussie? That's right. The Pelicans Scoop. Football's very own Pelicans Podcast. See, I am very excited to see how they proceed. You know, you've got a point guard, you've got a small forward, you've got a power forward who looks like he be an absolute beast. You keep those guys together. Then you've got Josh Hart off the bench who is heart and soul of the team. I've said that a couple of times on here. It's my favourite part. Join me, Lyle Swithenbank, as we cruise down the Mississippi chatting all things Pel. We run through the full alphabet from B B.I. through to Z.W. B.I. wants to be the man and should be the man. Give him the ball, he looks like a stud. So what are you waiting for? Join us at HoopballPels on Twitter and subscribe to the show everywhere podcasts are found. Come on, let's go spin some yarns. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast.
1: The results are in. And I think what we said the other day might actually hold a little bit of water. The NBA announced first thing this morning. By the way, hello, everyone. It's uh, Thursday. It's July 2nd. We are officially four weeks away from the NBA season resuming, I think, provided we get there. The NBA announced nine additional positive COVID tests this morning, increasing the total of the players to 25 Of 351, the NBA also announced that 10 out of 884 team staff tested positive. And we're going to break that down on today's show. We've also got some mailbag questions, and I think should probably be about enough for us. Uh, Although, if we get through that stuff faster than I expect, we'll segue back into our building out of our resumption draft board. A lot of things to go over. A lot of things to go over uh, on today's podcast. Um, so let's talk about the the tests. Nine out of the additional chunk. It was originally, I think, uh, what twenty or sixteen out of three hundred and two. So there were actually another nine out of forty nine. And I'm guessing the reason that it happened that way is that those tests were probably guys that they had expected, like maybe they were double confirming or something like that, because 9 out of 42 is a huge number of positives. So what I think, if I'm interpreting this right, is it's one of two things, and perhaps someone in the Twitter sphere will shed some light on this over the next hour or two, but frankly. I don't want to wait anymore before getting the podcast out. So what I believe is happening now is that 16 out of 302, that was that number we got last week, was some combination of things. Because now what Shams has tweeted in back-to-back ones was that nine players tested positive out of 344 players tested between the 24th and 29th of June. Overall, that's 25 uh, since testing began on june twenty third so now he's saying twenty five positives out of three hundred and fifty one total, meaning that that a first bunch we got they said you know three hundred and two either included staff as well. I don't think it did I thought it said that was players only, but I could have been wrong um or there was just this last chunk that needed to come in and now we sort of have. Uh, all of our data complete regardless here's what we know because the fact right now is and and everybody's reporting on this but for some reason it's like everyone forgot that they had put out this 302 number last week Uh, whether it's 25 whether it's nine out of uh, the new 344 or uh, 25 out of 351 or 16 out of 302 it's a non-zero number, and it's not an insignificant number, okay? No matter how you run the numbers on that, I mean, we can we can do it all here live on air. The original 16 out of 302 came out to about 5.3%. That's what everybody was talking about. This was last week, and somehow everyone's forgotten about this, and no one seems to care that these numbers don't add up quite right that was 5.3% last week and now we're seeing someone say okay 9 out of 344 just tested positive which is 2.6% and then in the very next tweet it says 25 out of 351 which is 7.1% there is there's something confused Along the way here. And everyone's just repeating the original Shams tweet. I'm guessing he's going to go back and probably fix it and clear up some of the numbers here. So I'm not going to get on anybody's case. Everybody just wants to break the news. But someone's forgetting some detail to make this perfectly clear. Right now, it's not perfectly clear. We're close. And we know that there were 16... I'm guessing that, was, that must have had staff too and they just screwed that up. That's the thing. Because it was 16 out of 302 and then they're saying 9 out of 344, something doesn't add up. And 25 is 16 plus 9, so that part does add up. But is it 351 players tested? Is it double that? Was the 16 out of 302 just the first wave and this is the last part? The dates don't even line up, right? Like, it was 16 out of 302... Since June 23rd, and now they're saying between the 24th and 29th, nine, uh, nine players out of 344, so only seven players got tested. The first day? yeah, none of this makes sense. It doesn't. The numbers don't add up. This is my this is my math breakdown on someone missing a data point here. Does no one remember the 302? Have I lost my mind? Maybe I've lost my mind. I'm not sleeping very much these days. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. How is everyone repeating this? What am I forgetting? I'm going to search for 16 out of 302 on Twitter as we talk about this. Because I swear to God, six days ago, there was an article on ESPN that said 16 of 302 NBA players tested positive. 16 of 302 players, it said. And now they're saying 9 out of 344? What? Which makes 25 out of 351? Are they testing some guys uh, twice? All right, you know what? I'm getting caught up in semantics here. Here's, Here's what we do know. Either... 16 out of 302 tested positive, or 25 out of 351 tested positive, or 9 out of 344 tested positive. Those numbers don't all add up together, but regardless of which one you take, which was 5%, 2%, or 7%, they're catching it, all right? I'm going to, you guys, man, anybody that knows me, uh, listen, you don't get the Nicknamed pedantic on this show for being someone who can let something like this go. There is some data point missing here, and it's stressing me out. But I'm going to do my best to forget that that's the thing, because that isn't even really the point I mean, I know know I'm not crazy. Look it up. Just search for 16 of 302. Just type that into your search bar, and you'll get like 25 results for 16 players out of 302 tested positive uh, for COVID ahead of the restart. This is driving me crazy. All right. Anyway, um, so that's a 5.3% infection rate if that's the number we were going off of. If you're going off the 25 out of 351, it's 7. If you're going off this 9 out of 344 number, which maybe that was wrong. Maybe the total number is just 25 out of 351. Maybe we should just go with that and roll with it. I mean, how many, what? You got 22 teams, uh 351 divided by 22 is 16. That would make sense. So it's probably 25 out of 351. I'm going to forget the 9 out of 344. That part doesn't make any sense. The only thing that makes sense here is if you go from 16 out of 302 to 25 out of 351 and assume that there was a really high high percentage hit rate in that last 42 tests they were doing. So those were ones, I guess, where maybe they needed to do... Uh, maybe they didn't get results from the the rapid one and they had to do a different one or something like that. Anyway... Oh my God, you guys are bearing with me on this one. I've spent like four minutes talking about how the numbers don't add up and my conspiracy theory here. it's not a conspiracy theory. I just I need I need there to be an obvious connection between point A and point B. Worst podcast of the year. Oh my God, Dan, get it together. We're gonna go with 25 out of 351. That's roughly seven percent, uh, just a tiny bit over that on the NBA uh, players testing positive. Also of note. Only 10 out of 884 staff members tested positive. That's a 1.1% hit rate. Which, again, um... I don't know that we can make sweeping generalizations from this because that's what's happening on Twitter right now. And Twitter is always right. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to lose it today. Um... But I, I do think that it's not a an insignificant change there. I mean, okay, neither one of these is a massive sample size. You know, it's not like we're testing 10,000 NBA players and 10,000 NBA staffers. It's 350 and 880. But they're also not like 15, you know, it's not like 10 and 20. So when one comes out to 7% and the other comes out to 1%, I think you have to take notice and it harkens back to what we were talking about. It was either yesterday or the day before. I've lost track of days, uh, not only because the infant has gone back to not sleeping, but also because, you know, we've been in a pandemic now for three and a half months and days have no meaning. The players weren't being careful. I think we can say that pretty safely. 7% is pretty much in line With where the nation is at right now, nation's at about six point something, I think, if the COVID tracking data from yesterday, if I'm remembering it correctly, it was at like 6.8% or something like that. So the players are acting like the average person. NBA staffers have been acting a lot more like the average lunatic, which is me. Lunatic, like, I'm taking every precaution and I'm not going to let this thing get anywhere near me. So when I said a couple days ago that, yeah, we're catching all of these cases, but what it's telling me is that putting an entire league on, like, you know, ankle bracelets, basically, staff, players, whoever, is actually probably safer for the players than whatever they were doing anyway. And I also said two days ago, that I thought this might be a little bit scary for the older staffers. I mentioned Craig Popovich, uh, Alvin Gentry, Mike D'Antoni, as the guys that are particularly old, and the head coaches department. There are plenty of assistant coaches that are old as well. This is evidence now backing that up in a pretty big way, basically telling us, look, these coaches and staffers are a blend of Everybody from like 22 years old to 80 years old, where the players are a blend of 22 year olds to 36 year olds, basically. I don't know what you'd say the average ages of NBA staffers, because I'm guessing that there's a large number that are like dramatically underpaid interns and that type of thing, you know, entry level stuff. But I'd be willing to bet everything I own that there are more NBA staffers that are 50 years old than there are players that are 50 years old. And so there are going to just be more staffers taking this seriously because they are in more danger. Just from a numbers standpoint, yes, this is dangerous to everyone. But if you are older, it is more dangerous. It's a scale. It's a scale of it. So these results aren't that surprising. And I'm actually heartened a little bit by the notion of the bubble because what we're seeing is that the the players were acting like a a normal cross-section of the U.S., meaning some folks were taking it pretty seriously. Some folks were taking it more seriously or not seriously at all. And so it all averages out to roughly where the nation was at. So now... If you take this and you say, look, we're going to take measures to try to keep everybody safer. And I know you're putting them in this environment where it can spread. But what we're seeing is that a lot of these players are putting themselves in those environments anyway. I would bet also pretty much everything I own. That at least a handful of these players have probably been to someone's party or played a pickup game, or had a group of friends over, or went to a restaurant. These are things that you could do, presumably, in a bubble when everybody's being monitored. When everybody's not being tested every day, these are things that are dangerous. At least in terms of catching a thing. So we surge forward. Uh, I think overall this is actually relatively good news. Uh, I think the fact that the staffers have been largely COVID-free is good good news. (laughs) Good news. It's a weird Freudian slip. You'd think I was looking at a picture of somebody's face, but I wasn't. We'll get the players that are healthy enough to come. Get them into the bubble. Everybody quarantine. Let's get rid of these cases that we found so far. The folks that are negative get to a place where you can be safe. And let's move this thing along. So that's where we're at right now. And I'm going to forget about this weird 344 number. I promise. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Let's do the mailbag. Let's do the mailbag. Let's let's talk about something besides the fact that I can't get over how certain numbers don't quite add up right. We did a mailbag yesterday, and we got a handful of questions, which was kind of nice because there was a very real chance that in this weird shutdown season we wouldn't get many mailbag questions. And we didn't get a ton, but we got enough to put a little bit of a show together. So stick with me on this. We'll handle them piece by piece. Uh, Easy one from Brian Kuhn. Where can we sign up for the startup season? Well, the only place I know of right now is Fantrax. Uh, They do a nice job with commissioner options over there. Uh, My buddy Adam King. You can hit him on Twitter at AdamKing91. He can get you pointed in the right direction. They've got what you need. I hopped in one myself, and I hope you'll do so as well. Otherwise, what we're talking about on this podcast has no bearing on anything. I don't want my information to be useless, so go hop in a league. So those are over at Fantrax. That's an easy one. Uh, Rob B. says, who are your top five D-bombs for the resumption league? Oh, boy, that's a good question, man. So you kind of have to go through everything we were talking about on the team-by-team breakdown, and it's not really an old man squad the way it normally is during a regular season because the off season gives us the opportunity to maximize hype. This is not a hype window because there's no unknowns, if that makes sense. The unknowns here, as we talk, I'm going to repeat it on every single episode of the show. The unknowns for the resumption season is how many games guys are going to play. The unknowns for a regular season are ooh, who's going to be this shiny new object? And all of those shiny objects end up pushing the uh, perfectly functional and not that shiny but always useful you know, Honda Civics of the NBA down the draft board, and those guys become old reliable. But we don't really have those guys for a resumption season, so I would need a very different name for them I do have guys that I like. I, I, I've been talking about them as we've gone through the teams coming back as sort of, I don't want to call them watch list, but target guys to some degree. And you probably remember a good deal of them as we zipped through the NBA, as we zipped from team to team. You know, with the Lakers, we talked about maybe a guy like a JaVale McGee as a backup that could slot in if AD sits out some games when this thing goes along. Dwight Howard falls into the same camp if he indeed does join the team for the resumption. Uh, who else were we looking at? Generally, on teams where things were changing towards the end, I thought Mike Conley's probably, I mean, he might barely get drafted in this thing, but he could be interesting. Joe Ingles with No Boy on Bogdanovich around in Utah. There were some names out that way that made a lot of sense. I thought the Mavericks, I think Kristaps will go too late and Luca will go maybe a tiny bit too early. Although we talked about both of those guys yesterday and where they ended up on our draft board. Grizzlies, not much there in terms of uh guys that I'd be targeting in the draft. And then you get into some teams that may or may not actually push their way into this playoff bubble. Like, do we want to venture in down the, the trailblazers path with injured Yusuf Nurkic, injured Zach Collins coming back? Whiteside, new McCollum, Dame. Spurs, we talked about Derek White. We talked about Jakob Pertl. I mean, a lot of the D-bombs, if you want to call them that for this, again, they're not really old man squad guys. They're actually going to be younger dudes and possibly sixth men that are getting bumped into a more feature role as other players on the team go down. The Bucs are going to rest some people. Dante DiVincenzo, we know he steps into a nice role when that happens. We know Robin Lopez could fill in for his brother in a game or two. You go up and down the list. It's the same kind of thing. What about the Nets? Seems like a lot of guys aren't going. DeAndre Jordan not going. Dinwiddie might not go. you knows that? Karis Levert, that bumps him up, bumps Jared Allen back into the picture. I think the Magic are jammed with guys that people are underrating. Vooch, Fournier, Aaron Gordon even, who was really playing well towards the end of the season. Terrence Ross. All of these guys. Magic, I think, are playing all eight games. I don't. Why would they give their guys a break? Someone on the Wizards is going to step up, and it's probably going to be Shabazz Napier. So this is these are the guys we're talking about right now. They aren't D-bombs by the traditional sense, but they are guys who, for whatever reason, are either underappreciated for durability and, in this particular case, likelihood of playing all eight games, guys that are being thrust into a more feature role immediately at the start of the resumption season, or guys that we believe will be thrust into a bigger role as the resumption season goes along. And I think that's going to be how we have to leave that question because, again, it's not really like a top five. It's This is why we broke down every team one by one. I was asked by an old friend of mine if I own a mailbag. I don't. Uh, Mike Lee, couple of questions. Let's start with the fun one. Do I have any frivolous skills? And if I could add one frivolous skill into my repertoire, what would it be? I probably should have thought about this one before actually looking at it on air. But I thought, oh, there's a fun one. I'll just answer this one on the spot. Frivolous skills. Um, I do some really bad impressions. Uh, I can make my tongue look like one of those old squeeze wallets there's it's super weird i've never seen anyone else i've never seen a single other person that can make this shape with their tongue (laughs) it's gross it's gross you asked about frivolous skills but here we're at um what else am i good at that's not particularly useful in daily life hmm yeah why don't we go oh well um I have a, double, a badly double-jointed left thumb and a toe thumb for a right thumb. I don't know if that counts as frivolous skills, but those are sort of weird things about me. Let's go with the tongue thing. And I'll tell you what, Mike, and anybody else who wants it. Uh, I'm going to send out a tweet right when I post this podcast that basically says, on the podcast I talked about my frivolous skill. Does anyone want to see it? And if enough of you guys respond on Twitter and say that you do, I will take a picture of this squeeze wallet whatever you want to call it. I I, like, I don't even know what to, it almost looks like a fish gill. Maybe that's a better way to describe it. It looks like my tongue is breathing through a gill. And if enough of you guys actually respond, I'll take a picture and I'll show it. It's kind of gross though. So I'm not going to do it unless somebody asks for it. What frivolous skill would I like to have? Wow. That's a hard question to ask on a non-video podcast. Video podcast, I could just stare br- blankly at the screen. You guys would know it wasn't frozen. If I go completely silent for 30 seconds on this thing, you guys are going to think your internet's busted. But I'm actually just sitting over here thinking what frivolous skill I wish I had. Most of the skills I wish I had are, I would deem, somewhat useful. Like, I wish I was better at car mechanics. I, uh, I, I wish I was better at uh, singing you know, all the things I want to be able to do I'm okay by the way, I'm okay at singing. I'm not I'm not I'm not good. I can I can carry a tune loosely by a by a string. I don't cradle it close though. Not not worth listening to. All the things that I wish I could do better, I think are relatively useful. It's it's a hard question to come up with something that's completely useless that I wish that one uh, a person, me in this case, wishes he could do. Maybe I'll add something else to that tweet and start talking about what frivolous skills does everybody else have, and uh, I'll pick one from that pool. So there's my cop-out. His fantasy question, Mike's qu- fantasy question is, what players are you most curious to see in the restart? Both Oh, both for fantasy and for my own personal interest slash curiosity. Um, you know, it's, it's really funny, and I just mentioned it ever so briefly. A moment ago, I think the player that I'm most interested during this resumption is Aaron Gordon. For a couple of reasons. Number one, for five years, the rest of the fantasy community has been telling us, the big box sites, I don't want to lump everybody into that, the big box sites have been telling us that we need to be drafting Aaron Gordon. And for five years, we've said, I, I don't know about that. And then all of a sudden, the last five weeks of this season, I mean, hell, we've talked about this a lot, but I, I'm gonna do it again because it was so interesting. The last five weeks of this season, his game changed in a way that I don't I don't know that anyone could have possibly seen it coming. It wasn't in the ways that we expected, right? So like, you know, when you look at a player's, we do a lot of handicapping on this podcast for fantasy purposes and for and for sports betting. You do a lot of handicapping, you look at a guy's stat set, and you say, well, where where is the improvement coming? And with Aaron Gordon, we looked at his stuff, and every year it was the same thing. This guy has got to improve his percentages. A dunk contest 6'8", 225-pound power forward, shooting a career 44.5% from the field. Unacceptably low. And then you're like, but Dan, doesn't he take a crap ton of three-pointers? The answer is, sort of. You know, he took four out of his roughly 13 shots a game from downtown this year, which isn't a tiny number, but it's also, it's not egregious. He's just bad at three-point shooting. He's 31.5% career three-point shooter. He's never been a good foul shooter, but a power forward, sometimes that becomes a little bit forgivable. And he's never been the defensive presence that I think we were all trying to give him credit for. He's never been awful defensively throughout his career, basically since he's been playing a full allotment of minutes per game, which is roughly the last four NBA seasons. He's been averaging somewhere between 1.3 and 1.7 defensive stats combined per game. So that's it's not good, but it's not horrible. It's, it's fine. You know, league average would be if you had somebody that was getting you about a steal, tiny bit more than a steal. League average in blocks is about .7. He's just ever so slightly below the number on both of those. But, again, we've talked about it before. Someone who's league average in everything is actually like a top 65 fantasy player. So his defensive stats aren't really where the issue is. Again, he's not good there, but he also hasn't been bad there. He's been acceptable. How about his scoring? Well, his scoring's been fine. Not great. You know, career 12, 13 points per game. But again, since he's been a starter, he's been more in that 15, 16 range. That's fine. Since he's been a starter, he's been around seven-ish rebounds per game. That's fine. And since he's been a starter, he's been around three, three and a half assists per game, which is also not horrible. And his turnovers aren't that high. So you look across the board, and the things that jump out at you with Aaron Gordon are, look, he's a power forward that field goal percent has got to be better. If he's going to turn this, the veritable corner, and become a critical fantasy asset, we were all laying our wagers on the thing that has to improve dramatically is either of the percentages, and the one that you figured had the better chance to improve dramatically was field goal percent. Because this dude shouldn't be shooting that poorly, given his athletic makeup. And then straight out of left field comes a stretch for Aaron Gordon where his, not his rebounding, although his rebounding did actually get a little bit better towards the end of the year. Not really his scoring. Maybe a slight hat tip to rebounding. But it was assists. It was assists. This monster of an athletic specimen decides to average seven assists a game. For four weeks. That's really interesting. He took slightly fewer three-pointers over that stretch, and his field goal percent did improve a little bit. He happened to be on a pretty good run of both steals and blocks, which I think we can safely say was not a sustainable switch. So the fact that he was in the top 35 over the last month I don't think is a sustainably high number, mostly because I don't think those defensive stats are staying where they are and probably not the nine rebounds a game. But the thing that was really interesting about Aaron Gordon is that all of a sudden, and everybody was healthy. We've talked about this a couple times on the pod. Everybody was healthy. It wasn't like he was filling in as some sort of weird power forward point guard thing. They just, they started to run more offense through Aaron Gordon as a facilitator and he loved it. He fully embraced the role. He was a seven to two assist to turnover ratio over that stretch. And it was cool. If you remove the defensive stat bump, he falls back towards the top 75. Even with the big assist leap, he becomes more like a weird iteration of Julius Randle. uh, When Julius wasn't shooting 39% on 20 shots a ball game. So do I think Aaron Gordon can sustain top 35? No, I don't. Um, even if you pull out 27% of teams, I think he'll have a really hard time getting to that high. But given that his numbers, if his defensive stats do level off, would have probably put him in the 75 range during the regular season, you pull about 20 players out from in front of him, and you could see Aaron Gordon in that 55 range during the resumption campaign. I'm really interested to see how he plays from a fantasy standpoint. I'm also pretty interested to see how the Magic play from a team standpoint. One of the other things you'll notice about Orlando, and, and the competition did play a role in it. They uh, had Memphis, Houston, Minnesota among some of their, their games. Look at the Magic's game-by-game log as a team and just set it up in a vertical line and tell me what jumps out at you as you look at this vertical column of scores. Is it the fact that they uniformly have six digits at the end of the year and fairly uniformly only have five digits at the beginning of the year? Because that's what jumps out to me. In the Magic's final, make sure I get this number right, 11 straight games before the season was shut down, both the Magic and their opposition scored in triple digits. Both teams. In fact, you could stretch that to their last 15 games, but for a February 8th game against the Milwaukee Bucks, where they held the Magic to only 95. One time in Orlando's final 15 games, did either team fail to break 100 points? That trend started in Charlotte on February 3rd, which also happened to be a game where Aaron Gordon had five assists, and started a trend where he went 5455497461269449 5, 4, 4, 9. Aaron Gordon's assist numbers over those final 15 games were substantial <laughs> right like that's that is not that is not what you'd consider the numbers you'd expect from a power forward in the assist standpoint over those last 15 games, Aaron Gordon averaged 6.2 assists per ball game. It is not a dink. It's not a dink. Because for the first... Good Lord. Uh, let's make sure we get this number relatively close to right. For the first 43 games that Aaron played in this year... He was right around three assists a game. And then all of a sudden, from three, boom, 6.2. And for the Magic, from a team that could barely break 100, regularly held under 100 points. 14 out of 15 games, over 100. And some of them were severe. They played some games. Again, admittedly, the, the, the competition did factor into it. Over those 15 games, they had uh, the Knicks mixed in there, the Hawks twice, Minnesota twice, Atlanta, uh, sorry, we said the Hawks already, the Mavericks, the Nets, the Rockets, the Grizzlies. Yeah, there were some teams in there that were going to score more points, and so it was sort of built in that. But think of it from this standpoint. They had a game against Boston on January 23rd, where the the final score was 109-98, the Magic Again, failed to score 100 points in that ballgame. The combined total of the two teams was just a shade over 200 at 207. Those two teams played three, two weeks later, and it was 116-100. Magic still lost. They only scored two more points. Aaron Gordon was a big part of it, by the way, why they scored a little bit more. But Boston scored 116. The pace changed for Orlando. They got into their offense quicker. They took more shots. They had more fun. To me, the Orlando Magic are my team to watch during this resumption season. Whether or not Jonathan Isaac plays, if they go right back to what they were doing before the shutdown, then we're cooking. Vooch was getting 18 shots a game over that stretch. Terrence Ross was getting 15 and a half shots a game over that stretch. Aaron Gordon, almost seven assists per game. I mean, this is this is significant. Sorry, Vucevic was at like 17 and a half shots per game. Terrence Ross, 15 shots. Fournier, 14. I don't even care about Markel Faults. He's not... I mean, he might actually do just barely enough to be fantasy relevant because... of the players might get moved out from in front of him, but I wouldn't bank on it. I mean, here's the thing. When they started playing faster, and I truly wonder how many people noticed this change for the entire team. Vooch's game didn't change that much. That's one thing you really want to focus on. Vooch was taking about 17 shots a game for the entire season. They picked up their pace and the only thing that really changed for him was that I think his rebounding got just a hair better. So not a massive adjustment there for Vooch. Fournier got better. You know, His again, these, these are small adjustments, but they matter. Small adjustments, but they matter. Terrence Ross big beneficiary of the team playing faster, Aaron Gordon big beneficiary of the team playing faster, Fournier small, very small beneficiary of the team playing faster. Defensive stats were better for the Magic when they were getting up and down the floor. I mean honest to goodness, I think I would draft and watch this entire team. Cuz I think they want to pass or they want to stay. Sorry, let me make sure I get this right. They want to pass Brooklyn. They're the 8 seed right now. Come on, Dan. Head in the game today. I think they'd rather have the Raptors. Then I, it's mathematically impossible for them to get any farther than the seven seed. Nets have nobody showing up. Magic, I think, feel like they're in pretty good shape to get past Brooklyn for the 7th seed. So I think these guys are going to play. I think they were having fun. And I think that's going to make them a really interesting fantasy team for the resumption and maybe also for next year. That's the answer to the question of what fantasy player am I watching or keeping tabs on. From a reality standpoint, it's not the Magic. From a reality standpoint, I mean, I am probably going to watch more Magic games than the rest of you guys because I'm uh, a very large degenerate, and you guys are merely quite large degenerates. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't really care how Magic games go. They are, at, for the most part, a team I don't care about. I watch them because I think there's a truckload of fantasy. From a reality standpoint, I think the 76ers are an interesting team to watch. I think they could be uh, scary in the playoffs, and then... You know, the top of the Western Conference is fun and the Western Conference bubble. The Blazers, the Pels, the Kings. By the way, I don't generally agree with teams when their fan bases say, why is no one giving us any credit? But really, no one's giving any chance to the Kings to get into that play-in game. They're actually playing better than pretty much anybody uh, outside of the top five in the Western Conference when the season shut down. I don't know if they're going to be able to pick up that way, but Darren Fox coming around, they were 7-3 and their last 10 ballgames. There were only two teams in the Western Conference that were better than that, and there were only three that were equal to or better than that, and those teams were the Lakers, the Thunder, and the Clippers. Lakers, Thunder, Clippers, Kings were playing the best of anybody in the Western Conference pre-shutdown. There was actually one team in the Eastern Conference that was 7-3 and in their last 10, and that was the Pacers. Even the Bucks were down Giannis, so they went six and four their last ten games before the break. They lost their last three in a row. Kings are playing well, so I'm very curious about the Kings, the Pels, the Blazers. The top of the Western Conference should be fun, although that's really more of i I'm waiting to watch them in the playoffs kind of scenario. Uh, the Sixers, I think, are going to be interesting. I, that that team's been so up and down all year, but to me, they they could be scary when push comes to shove. They're they're still they're not built. To spread the floor for the way regular seasons go right now. They were built to deal with Milwaukee. Let's be honest. That team was built for one reason alone. Sixers are that one weird team that might be like, okay, let's just get to Milwaukee. Maybe they'd love to get into that five seed. Deal with the Heat. And then the Bucks. Yeesh. Sounds daunting, but I don't know, man. 76ers strike me as a team that might might have more trouble with a team like the Raptors or Celtics, although they were very good within their conference, within their division, I should say. I think that's probably enough, honestly, in terms of I'm looking at the timeline, the clock on everything. Um, I was thinking about whether or not we want to dive into any of our draft board building here on today's episode but instead of that i think i'm just gonna remind you guys once again that hoop ball has partnership with the great folks over at manscaped.com i continue to beg you i beg of you check them out manscaped.com use promo code hoopball20 to get 20 percent off and free shipping on your order check out the lawnmower 3.0 it's the newest model First one they've released in 18 months. They've been spending the last year and a half perfecting this third-generation trimmer. 90-minute battery life, water-resistant technology, built-in LED light, 7,000 RPM motor, and a charging stand if you don't want to have to let it dongle out of a USB port. Hey-oh. 20% off, free shipping, promo code HOOPBALL20. Please do it! People. I banged on the table for emphasis. Please do it. We need your help. We want to build this into a very long and fruitful partnership with the good folks over at manscaped.com. Giving us a shot here over at the Hoob. Don't let me down, everybody. Don't let me down. Uh, thank you to everybody that's been applying to our spots in the gambling and DFS divisions. I'm in touch with a number of you guys. Um, please do continue to keep the applications coming because I don't know what's gonna happen with the current apps. And we're always looking to expand our operation. We have a lot of things we'd like to do, and you could be a part of those. So if you're big into betting, if you're big into DFS, and you think you want to be on the other side of the wall here, the expert, the pro side, and give your valuable takes out to the community, bug me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Tomorrow, back to our draft board. Thanks for the mailbag questions, guys. Uh, I promise to tweet about my tongue. Goodbye, everybody.
0: This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.